0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It is uh, great to see everyone today. Great to be here, be able to worship together. Uh, great weekend. I'm telling you the event yesterday. Uh, it's one of my favorite that we do in partnership with Healing Grove. And uh, just to be out in the community over the course of the day, it started at noon, ended at six. And just uh, throughout the day, you just saw hundreds of people that came through for a few hours at a time. Uh, They served meals all throughout the day that we were able to do. The mayor sends his greetings and said, thank you. Uh, Thanks to Venture to provide something like this for the city, the police chief was there. But more than anything, you guys showed up. And uh, I, I would say in particular, if you get a chance to thank Pastor Carlos, he is the pastor of VEE Venture in Espanol. Uh, their community, their body, uh, because it was a, an event where m- most of the people attending spoke Spanish. So we wanted to have people there in the prayer tent and all the different places. It was bilingual uh, bilingual event, and uh, VEE showed up in mass and Pastor Carlos particularly at at the forefront of that. And so uh, if you see Pastor Carlos, or if you see JC Park, JC who works so much behind the scenes, give both of them a high five, because it was a great testimony yesterday, a lot of work into it. And for those of you who came out and served, uh, we can't thank you enough, it was hot. It was hot yesterday, but you guys, the smiles, everybody involved in it, What a great way to to tell our community, tell our city that we do love them. And that uh, as a church, we get to model who Jesus is in events like that. In fact, it's it's a perfect tie in for what we're looking at today. Today, we're in a section of Romans 12. And uh, if you got your Bibles, you can turn there, Romans 12. And in it, remember we've made this turn where Paul's calling us practically, how do we live out this gospel? How do we live a life, and remember he said in Romans 12, 2 in particular, you don't want to look like the rest of the world. You don't want to be shaped by the culture of the world. You don't want to be shaped by what everybody else is doing that's always trying to shape you, but rather we need to be transformed, not conformed, but transformed. We need to be changed from the inside out. And so now he's, he's walking us through what that looks like. And again, I think it's so important because you you can hear these terms like, oh, yeah, I want to be transformed. And we kind of keep them spiritualized. Yes, I'm transformed. What does that mean? What does that look like? In particular, what does it look like inside of a church of people that say, yeah, I'm absolutely, I've been changed by the gospel. Holy Spirit's doing something in me. And we're transformed people. And we're going to see as Paul gets real practical this week, and, and in fact, if you read through this section, it's almost like you string together these commands. Here's the good news. There's probably not a verse in here that you're going to go, hmm, I don't understand that. There's probably not a verse you're going to go, you need to exegete the Greek for me to really help me understand what's going on. No, it's really clear. But they're very convicting. Because through the rest of this chapter, Paul's going to look at what does it mean to be people of love? And today we look at what does it mean to, to love each other well in a church? What does it look like when a church really chooses to love and let that be at the forefront? And then next week we'll look at how do, you, how do you love people outside of it? How do you love people that are hard to love? How do you love people that have hurt you? How do you love people that when you look at them you would call them an enemy? And how do we put that in action? As we look at it today, we're we're gonna move through this. If you look in your notes, some of you get real scared when there's a lot of points, you're like, oh, we're gonna be here forever. That means we gotta move. And each of these points, I've I've entitled it 10 Marks of Love, 10 things. When a church really chooses to love, what does it actually look like in practical ways? And so as you look at this, these 10 marks of love in a church, how do you create the kind of environment? I love the story Lee Eckloff talks about. Lee Eckloff's a pastor. And and he grew up in a little town, New Britain, South Dakota, town of about 1200. You can imagine in South Dakota, he said the the winters were just horrible. I mean, the temperatures would drop, but the worst thing that would happen is blizzards would come in very quickly. And so in this farming community, ranching community, that the kids in town at school, a blizzard could come in during the middle of the day and and the kids would be trapped there. So back in the 50s, when he grew up, that each house in town was assigned as a storm home. And so a kid that may live out on the farm or live out of the community, a day when a blizzard would come, that child would go home with another child and stay at that house. And the parents would know, okay, my child's being taken care of. Lee talks about, you know, a few years ago, he was with a friend of his from growing up, Roger Johnson. And Roger just smiled and he said, hey, you know, your house was my storm home. That little greenhouse on 7th Street. I Man, it, it, it was that place I knew I could go to and I'd be safe. And as Lee talks about it, he says, You know, shouldn't church be that way? And all the storms of life and everything that's going on, shouldn't people know, okay, I know I can go there? I know they'll take care of me there. That only happens if we choose to live out the gospel with the kind of transformed love Paul's calling us to. So how do we do that? Let's walk through this, look at the first mark. First mark of love is love chooses to be real. Love chooses to be real. In fact, look at the verse there. It's a real simple phrase, let love be genuine. That, that phrase actually means without hypocrisy. And, and in the Greek in particular, the word hypocrisy, the hypocrite, actually comes from the actor on the stage. You remember that you've seen the the two masks, the smiling mask and the sad mask, because Greek actors would literally hold up a mask. And and so when they came out on the stage, they'd have the mask on and you knew their emotion based on their mask. And, And so in this, Paul's saying, hey, when we love in this way, and this is the first time in this whole gospel in the book of Romans that he's actually called us to love each other. Every other place you've seen love up to this point is God's love for us and then our love for him. But now when he turns it toward each other, this agape love that he's calling us to, he says, it's got to be without hypocrisy. It's got to be without mask. You, You have to choose to be real. In fact, it's one of the most loving things that you can do within a church body It's one of the most loving things that you can do within your life group or with your friends or with people who've come into the church. That you love them enough that you'll show them the real you. And even as I say that, there's some vulnerability with this. That that we show them, and, and I think the problem that we fall into is we come to church and I feel like, okay, I gotta put my best face forward. Which, again, none of us wants to come here and, you know, let me show you the worst parts of my life. Certainly can't do it in a group this large. But we get caught up in this trap that I always have to kind of put my best face forward. And then everybody looks around and they go, oh, everybody else has their act together. Nobody else struggles with this like I do. And and they turn on themselves in it. Or, or else we present this version of Christianity that isn't real, like we're all perfect people now because of Jesus. And then people get behind the mask a little bit and see who we really are and they go, oh, you're all hypocrites. Now, hear me, especially if you're new here, maybe you're investigating Christianity, maybe you're watching online with this. Um, there's no perfect people adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody could amen that one. And we all struggle with this. We all all struggle with trying to put a mask on. And yet, when you choose to love in this way, I'm gonna love you enough to invite you into the real of me. And I'll show you some of the mess that Jesus is still working on. And I'll tell you about some of the things he has changed. Because Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. There actually is a journey where he's changing my life, by the way. So this isn't some big coping group that we go, oh, we're all screwed up, and we're gonna stay screwed up, but we love each other. No, that's not what he's saying. But we're honest enough that we'll let down the mask. You know, there's a documentary, The Mask You Live In, and uh, they, they interviewed different groups in it. Philip Zombardo, one of the doctors that worked with it, one of the things he did with teenage boys, he gave him a circle of paper and he said, hey, on one side of the circle, write the image that the rest of the world sees of you. And then on the other side, write how you really feel. And then had them wad it up and throw it to another guy in the group. And all of them opened it up and almost all of them had the same thing on each side. All of them had some version of on the images, I'm tough, I'm fearless, I can kick your butt. I mean, they wrote different things with that. And then when you flip it to the other side, I'm lonelier than I like to admit. I'm scared. I feel awkward. And and, and it was powerful watching because you see all of the guys when they all recognize, wait, you struggle with that too? You feel that way too? Folks, here's the reality. It's not just teenage boys. It's all of us. And, And the powerful part of the gospel is We actually, because of Jesus, have this connection together. We have this base together. We've been changed by Christ. We're viewed through his blood. I mean, we're holy because of him. And so it gives us the opportunity to be real with each other. And one of the greatest acts of love that you can do is actually invite someone into the real you. Let them see you for who you really are. Look at the second one. Love fiercely protects what is good. Fiercely protects. Now you say, why would you say fiercely? Look look at this verse. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This word means hate. It's a fierce hatred. That you hate evil. Doesn't mean that you're hating people out there, but you hate evil. What's the source of evil? Sin and Satan. You, you hate what it does in the world. You hate the impact it has. You hate the wreckage it does. You hate the way it destroys lives. You hate everything about it, so much so that you're gonna protect and hold on to what is good and call people to it. And, and in that standard of doing that, that, that it, it's that hard balance in one way, but it's a clear balance as well, that we will speak up because we love what is good I would just challenge us, especially when you think about hating what is evil, it is very easy, especially in today's world, to be amused by evil, even entertained by evil. I had a friend years ago, he cautioned me. He just says, whatever entertains you today is what you'll accept tomorrow. So he said, you just need to guard your own heart in that. And we need to be the people that we're willing to, to speak up and, and say what is good. And that's hard. It's hard in a world that says, if you love me, you accept me just as I am. Now, years ago, Josh McDowell, he, he wrote these words and it was years ago. I, I think they're more appropriate today than ever. But he says, what, what is this difference between love and, and tolerance as the world calls it? He would say in this way, tolerance says you must approve of what I do. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will love you even when your behavior offends me. Tolerance says you must agree with me. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will tell you the truth because I'm convinced the truth will set you free. Tolerance says, you must allow me to have my way. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will plead with you to follow the right way because I believe you're worth the risk. Tolerance seeks to be inoffensive. Love takes risk. Tolerance glorifies division. Love seeks unity. Tolerance costs nothing. Love costs everything. See, that's the love that we're called to. In today's world. And sometimes when you speak this kind of truth, even in love, man, you'll find people and they can be offended by that. And the first thing they'll tell you is you're unloving because they want to redefine love according to these terms. I I just remind you, because sometimes as a church, we we always have to be careful. We're not trying to go out there and be intolerant. We're not trying to go out there and, and make people hate us just to make people hate us. The flip side of it, I think we also have to be careful that sometimes when you speak truth in a way and the reaction to that, we immediately turn and we either want to soften the truth so much or we just assume, well, man, if I made him mad, we must have done it wrong. I'll just remind you, if you track Jesus's ministry, there were times when the crowd swarmed around him because they loved what he was doing. And then there were times they all left him because of what he would teach and what he would say. And he even said it, he goes, I know this is hard. I know it's hard to hear. In fact, one time, all the crowd left him. And Jesus looks at his disciples. Remember this point when he says, do you guys wanna leave too? And Peter looks at him and says, well, where would we go? Now, it's interesting that he says it that way. Notice what he's saying in that. Well, yes, we do wanna leave. (laughs) Yes, we don't really like this. We loved it when you were healing people and feeding everybody, and oh, that was fun. This is hard. Yeah, we'd like to leave. But where would we go? Because you're the one who has the truth. And and, and I say that especially, and and I say this to the next generation, younger generation, Or maybe grappling with some ways of, as what Christ taught, as Christianity becomes more counterculture, becomes more unpopular in ways, it's easy to look at it and go, I don't know if I'm gonna be associated with that. I don't know if I I wanna stick with this. Here's what I would just ask you, the same question Peter said. Where are you gonna go though? Because you're going somewhere. And and Peter looked at it and says, we don't really like this. We certainly don't like being unpopular. But you have the truth. And so we'd rather be in the truth in you than just walk away because we don't know where we would go otherwise. See, church needs to be a place that, that when people come, they know they hear the truth and they know we fiercely protect what is good. Why? Because we want to battle with someone? No, absolutely not. Because we want them to experience that good. And if we give it up, then they'll never know what a life of flourishing, what a life in Christ really looks like. Because they didn't get to experience the truth that sets you free. Look at the third one. Love expresses appropriate affection. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. This is brothers and sisters you treat each other like family. You treat each other like brothers and sisters. And, and in this, I mean, there's, there's a call to affection. There's a call to crossing lines. And, and one of the reasons this was so radical in the early church, in fact, outsiders would look at the church. You gotta remember in Rome, <laughs> in the world at that time, the class systems were so strong and you didn't cross them. And so you had the ruling class, you had the slave class and you had people and you were, you were broken out and you were stuck in those ways. And, and then suddenly this church comes along and people are meeting and they're slaves and there's free and there's people that serve in government and they cross those lines. And then in it, you know, Paul would do those commands every so often, he, one of the commands, he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Now that's not one of the ones we call you to on a Sunday morning, <laughs> thankfully. Some of you hate it that we just make you shake hands with each other. You're like, oh, I don't wanna do this again. Could you imagine if we stood up? All right, everybody, holy kiss time. Come on, come on. Now, we don't do that because culturally it doesn't mean the same thing that it did. For them, that would be like a handshake. It's like the kiss on the cheek. But the reason he commands it is, hey, you're meeting together as a church with people from all different nations and classes and that. And we're gonna cross those lines. We're gonna treat each other with affection. We're gonna give a handshake and a hug where appropriate. We treat each other like brothers and sisters. Guys, there's more power in this verse than you realize over the years as I've met with people, some of whom who had no affection even growing up. Some of whom feel so lonely in life. They can't remember the last time somebody just put a hand on their shoulder. Somebody just came alongside, put an arm around them in an appropriate way. And the power of it. And so maybe if you're one of those people that you look at that and go, oh, I have that all the time, well, yeah, then realize you're blessed. But realize this, this needs to be the kind of place and to be that kind of place, it has to be a safe place. That's why we have to protect what is good so that people could feel like, okay, I am safe here and people love me. Fourth thing, love actively esteems others. I, I love this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. So you're looking around and you're never thinking about, did I get credit? You're never thinking about, okay, who respects me here? How do they treat me here? How do they think of, do they know how long I've gone here? Do they value my opinion? No, it's never that way. You never walk in and go, did anybody treat me nice today? No, Paul says, no, you flip it. So everybody's looking and going, okay, who can I honor? Man, who can I show respect? And, and I love that he put you outdo one another. So you don't just kind of token, it's like, oh man, I'm gonna make sure they know they're esteemed. I'm gonna make sure they know they're appreciated. And, and, and you're looking, could you imagine if you flip it and everybody's acting that way? See, when everybody acts that way, then nobody has to worry about themselves. Nobody has to worry about, Well, who's looking out for me? Because everybody's looking out. And everybody's trying to outdo in that. And and it builds a trust in a family. You know, I experienced this at home. One of the things I so appreciate about my wife is over the years with the kids, no matter what, I always knew she had my back. I always knew when I was not there, she would esteem me and call them to respect me. And the same way with her, that she knows I've got her back and, and, and not only respect her, but call the kids and the family, hey, we're gonna show her respect. And so when you, you come home, even if you came home late, even if you, any of the things with it, you walk in the door and you know there's an environment here that I can trust because somebody has my back. And so church should be the same way. That when we show this kind of respect, and esteem, it builds that trust. Look at the fifth one. Love serves with eagerness. Love serves with eagerness. And this is interesting. He says, do not be slothful. That's a nice word, lazy In zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So as you you think about, and especially within the family of God, you think about church, you think about serving, you think about serving in different ways. You think about even coming, even attendance, even coming here. I mean, have you reduced your Christian walk to a have to, or is there any want to left? Here's what I mean. Everything that you need to do in your walk, is it always a have to? Do you get up every Sunday and go, okay, yeah, I probably should go to church because that's what Christians do, which is true by the way. They, they gather together and they, they do that. And, and guess what? We all have half two days. There's many a Sunday I wake up and I, oh, I have to, probably wouldn't be good if I didn't show up. Might be a gap. I mean, we all have half two days. But here's what you start tra- tracking. When it starts stringing together too many half two days, I look back and I go, what, what is going on in my zeal? What's going on at a spirit level? Man, am I still excited? Do I still love worshiping? Do I still love serving? I, I tell you, you know, just one of my favorite things about being in the church is watching you guys serve. And some of you may not know it. I mean, at the doors the welcomers, there'll be people on the parking lot. And I'll look at them, I'll go in the kids' halls, the people that are loving on the kids every week, or they're singing, or they're teaching. It's Tuesday night, you ought to come, all of the adults who are there in the middle school ministry, high school ministry. And as I get to know many of them and know what they do in their jobs, and know what they do in life, and to watch how they willingly jump in and they serve in different ways, with zeal because they love, they love the kids. They love you guys. They put on a parking lot vest and they're out there directing traffic, even though they're a corporate executive, in many cases, the rest of the week. They smile, even though you're grumpy at them because <laughs> you didn't get to park where you wanted to park. And they've been out there all morning and they're smiling at you and waving. I saw it yesterday. I mean, yesterday it was hot and you go to all these different booths at Dia de Unidad and and to watch the venture people who are out there serving. You know, when when I go over to, there was one called the Duck Tank. There's these little ducks you fished for ducks and the kids won prize. And there's Wayne and Janet Niblack serving. Wayne serves on our elder board. Janet teaches. They lead in our church in so many different ways. And there they are sitting around the little duck pool while kids fished them out. Just happy as can be serving. I, I, I met a guy, Jesse, yesterday, a young venture member. I was walking by his booth. He was over the slime booth. He was making slime. And he kind of grabbed me desperately and he said, hey, the leader had to go and leave. Do you know how to make slime? I was like, no, I don't know how to make slime. They had this glue and borax and water. And I was like, we don't get this right. You know, this could explode or something, you know, kids. (laughs) And then I remembered, oh, Jennifer Schnabel. She oversees our preschool here during the week. And she was working the front table and checking people in. So I ran over to, I was like, Jennifer, if anybody knows how to make slime, it's the head of the preschool. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I know how to make slime. So we grabbed Jennifer. About an hour later, I came and, and like Jesse's booth was one of the most popular there. It was non-stop slime production. <laughs> and all these kids going. Just, just over and over again, just people who are there because they want to serve. They want to serve out there and they want to serve here. So let me ask you, Have you hit a point maybe in your Christian life where your zeal's gotten so low that service is just a have to? Or is there a part of you that goes, yeah, I, I need a fervency of spirit. I need to be transformed, Jesus. This isn't coming natural to me. I mean, I'm sure there's some of you right now, you're going, yeah, working the parking lot team, doesn't come natural to me. But it may be one of your greatest acts of love. Love finds hope even in the hard times that this is a place of hope, that we're a people of hope. And so you look at it with it, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. One one of the most loving things that we could do in a world, frankly, that's losing hope, in a world that when you get on social media, when you get online every day, guys, things aren't looking very good with the economy. And then things don't look good with world events and world affairs. And then then you see social issues and you see these parts with it and and all with that. And and again, hear me, we need to be a people that we protect what is good. So where we see wrong, we, we say that, but we never lose hope. We should be the most hopeful people out there. And by the way, when people rub shoulders with us, when people see our social media, when people see what we say, when we speak out in the world, The church should be the bastion of hope. It should be the place that you come to and you go, yeah, these people, they're living in the same circumstances. They're paying the same gas prices. They're living in all the same things as me. But man, they're hopeful. And and they're hopeful. In fact, they rejoice in it. And, And they're patient in tribulation. They're people who have a big picture perspective that they realize, you know what? God's doing something big here. And so I don't have to get caught up in the moment like everybody else. I'm looking at the big picture of what Christ is doing, what God's doing. And so I'm patient in tribulation. And I know some of you are like, yeah, but Tim, we gotta do something. And Paul agrees with you. So pray more. (laughs) Pray more. And I, I would challenge this. If you find your hope flailing, check your prayer life. Because here's what I've found, and and it's true. We we have a prayer team. We have a group. You're you're invited to it. There's prayer three days a week on Zoom. We do a monthly prayer Zoom meeting. And as I rub shoulders with those in our church who are prayer warriors, people, that they are committed to it. It's interesting because I I know a lot of their life stories and, and a lot of them are going through tribulation. They're some of the most hopeful people you'll ever meet. And I I think it's because they live this out. Because they stay in a constant state of they're always giving it to God. They're always looking to Him in prayer. They're always reaching out to Him. It helps them have a bigger picture perspective. And so I just challenge you, maybe if you're here today and you go, I don't feel hopeful at all. Man, that's a cue in your life pray more. Just see. So when you feel that discouragement coming in, when you feel that alarm coming in, when you see the latest news and you go, oh man, it sinks me again, let that be a cue and go, okay, I'm gonna pray more about it. And it may not change world events today, but I promise it'll change you. Because it connects you to the God who's above it all. Number seven, love gives generously to meet the needs of others. Love gives Paul calls it, he says, contribute to the needs of saints. Give. And and those of you who give, and specifically you give to this church and you give here, that gift is an act of love. That gift allows us to do this ministry. That gift allows us to send this broadcast out. And so that today people who can't even come to church are able to engage and be a part of this service. That gifts allows us to serve the hundreds of kids up there right now who are being discipled, who are being loved, who are experiencing that. That that gift allows all the extension of the ministries. You're giving yesterday, the whole event, man, you guys underwrote it. You guys gave to it. And so we're able to to give away food in our community. We're able to set up and and connect with our community. We're able to lift up our our community partners. And so you you see a partner like Real Options and they're there with the booth and they're connecting with families. You see a partner like Healing Grove who's doing that great work they're there embedded in the community. It allows us to do that because it's an act of love. And, And so never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of the tangible ways that you get to love the body of Christ and by extension beyond when you give. Don't reduce it just to a duty. It's an act of love. Number eight, love welcomes strangers. Love welcome strangers. Seek to show hospitality. This word hospitality, it doesn't mean that you're Martha Stewart doesn't mean, man, you put on the killer dinner party and you have, you know, perfect little crepes and all the right silverware is put out and all that. You may be great at that, knock yourself out if you are. Paul's command here, that word hospitality literally means love of strangers. Love of the people that are new. Love of the people that have just moved here. Love of the people that that they don't have any other connections in the community. They don't have any other relationships. And and one of the most powerful things that you can do as a church is not just what we do at this room, not just what we do in this place. It's how are you using your dinner table? How are you using your home? How are you using your life? Who do you invite out to lunch after church? Who, when you look around, when you come to church, and and there's a part of it, when we come here, all of us are the same way. I want to see my friends. I always want to see my friends. I was like, oh, there's so-and-so and we connected with that. But remember, we're a people, we're always trying to look for ways to esteem others. And especially if I'm gonna love those who are new and those who are from the outside, do you come to church and purposefully look around and go, who do I not know around here? Who's sitting alone? Who could I greet? And I know as I say that, because we talk ourselves out of it. You're here and it's a big church and you go, well, Tim, they could be going here for 10 years. I'm gonna offend them if I treat them like a visitor. I promise you won't. Nobody's ever offended by somebody being nice to them. And the power of opening up your home and your dinner table. Folks, there are people, they eat most of their meals alone. And what they would give if somebody had a family just had them over every so often. There's a lot of single parents. They're working so hard all the time. What would they give for somebody? Hey, come eat with us. Come be with us. Come experience family with us. And I know as I say that, especially if you do it regularly, you go, yeah, but my house is a mess and I don't have good furniture and we can't really have people over. You know what you did in that moment? Oh, I got to put the mask on. Once I get the mask on, then everybody can come over. As opposed to, remember, we started, we're going to remove the mask. Yeah, my house is a mess. Oh, we got a load of laundry over there. Yeah, we didn't get to it yet. This is how we live. This is real. But I'm going to invite you into real so that you can experience real love. That's what it looks like in the body of Christ. It's one of the most powerful ministries out there is what happens around your table, at your home, in your lunchtime. And, and, and we squander it too often because we think everything's gotta happen here by professionals. When in the body of Christ, Most real ministry happens with real people who show the real love of Christ. Love chooses to share the emotions of life together. Chooses to share the emotions of life together. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I I love this verse, this is one of the most powerful verses because notice it calls us all out of our own lives. So you might be in a rejoice season of life right now. Life is good, you got the promotion. Your family's doing great. Your kids are killing it. Everybody's great at all the different things. And you're just like, life is good. Here's what Paul looks at you. And he says, okay, you're in that rejoice phase. Who around you is weeping? Go weep with them. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say go fix them. He doesn't say go walk in and give them the answers how they could have a perfect life just like you. He didn't tell you to talk at all, actually. He just says show up and share what they're feeling. Weep with them. And and, and then you you realize, okay, man, I'm in this great season, but God's called me to share life with them. Uh, Notice the reverse is true. And this one's the harder one. Maybe you're in a season where you're weeping and life is hard and maybe your marriage has falling apart or your kids become a prodigal and you look at the rejoice people and their perfect lives and it's easy to resent them. It's easy every time you see them, you, you kind of think something negative about them because of your pain. And, and Paul says, no, don't stay here. Here, you're gonna do something really hard it's not natural to you. Remember, we're talking about it takes a transformed love. You're going to go rejoice with them. You're going to rejoice because their kids are doing well. You're going to rejoice at their third promotion. <laughs> <Huh. Amen. laughs> You're going to rejoice, even, even though it reminds you of your pain, you choose to rejoice. You go, Tim, that's not fair. That's so hard. It is hard. It's so hard. You can only do it through Christ. Now, why would God call you to that though? Because those who are rejoicing, you're not called to make life just about you. So you're always looking for men. Who can I go? And who needs me? And who could I weep with? Because I'm in a position of strength that I could actually go weep with them and share it with them. And those who are in this, this pain and in this season, it's easy to get stuck in it and to make all your focus about it and to resent others. And so in Christ, Paul says, hey, do something radical. Step out of it. And what you'll find in these seasons, and these are the seasons, you know, all the time we call you to do life and community, you need people close to you, you need a life group. It's because in these seasons, it's hard to love each other in a room of you know, 800, 900 people at one time, it's hard to do that. That's why you need that season of, of people and life around you. In fact, I, I, I saw this recently um, on our own staff. You know, Nathan Gelsinger, who was up here earlier, he's our life group pastor. And so he, he's big on life groups, <laughs> obviously. In this recent season, he and his wife and his family, they've desperately needed that community and life group. In fact, I'm going to ask Nathan and his wife, Rachel, to come on out, because I want you to hear it from them. I want you to hear part of just what God's been doing in this season with them. So appreciate you guys coming out. Nathan, you're out here a lot, so it's not that big a deal, Rachel. And sometimes this can be nerve wracking and you may have noticed Rachel you're wearing a a brace today that's part of what's why don't you tell everybody what happened a few weeks ago
1: yeah so I'm sporting this very stylish back brace today Mm. Um, three weeks ago I was horseback riding um, living my best life doing things that I enjoyed doing and I had a freak accident Um, I fell off my horse and unlike other times where I've just gotten up and walked it off um, this time I knew something very serious had happened Um, I actually shattered my L1 vertebrae in four different parts. Um, One went towards my abdomen, one shard actually went back into my spinal column, and the top kind of popped off as well. (laughs) So I did a real good job on it. Um, I quickly realized it was an emergency situation, I was taken by ambulance to the hospital, and I was in the hospital for six days um, in three different hospitals while they stabilized me, um, watched me for neurological issues, um, lots of pain control, that was good. Um, and got me ready to go home and recover at home. So it's been the wild ride the last few now, weeks.
0: Tell everybody how many kids you have.
1: We have three kids, nine, ages? nine, six, and four. Ah, so it's a busy house.
0: Well, it's good. Those ages, they're not hard to take care of at all in a situation <laughs> totally like selfish. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're in the hospital and then you come home, you can't do anything. And Nathan, I mean, it's kind of one of those moments, kind of surreal in one way of, you tell everybody, oh, you need a life group, you need a life group. You guys really needed a life group.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm up here, and I champion it, and I tell people about it. And we just had that event at the end of the end of August. Everyone get in a group. And then it turned, and we go, wow, we, we need that support. We need that help from the group. And we're driving to the hospital, and we send a text message to the group. Here's what's going on. We don't know what's happening. And just immediately, prayers start. The love starts pouring in. People come visit us at the hospital, bringing us meals, taking care of us, looking after us, Hmm. calling us, texting us, going, are you okay? How can we pray for you? What can we bring you? Um, Just setting up a meal train, all of these different things just immediately poured in from our group. And we've been a part of this group for a little bit now, and their eagerness just to jump in and take care of us and look after us was spectacular. And personally, what it led me to, just in this situation, um, you know, there was a lot of extra weight. And I'm sitting here in the hospital bed. You know, I am sitting here in the hospital. And She's in the bed, yeah, yeah
0: I, was. <laughs> Dad, I was gonna say we need to work on that if otherwise, yeah, um.
2: get out of here, it looks more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. The chair wasn't very comfortable. And you know, you're sitting there and you're kind of trying to figure things out and it's a very scary situation and there's just a lot of weight in it. And you can start feeling isolated. You can start feeling like I'm alone in this, I've got to figure this out all by myself. And I didn't feel like that. I had love and support just wrapping their arms around me so much. And you had a lot of support as well, Rachel.
1: Yeah, I did. You know, for me, it wasn't so much the tangible acts of service that really supported us, which we desperately needed at the time. But um, for me, you know, I had been sharing with my group over the last year that I'd been dealing with a lot of mental health struggles. And um, I was diagnosed with clinical burnout, which I didn't even know existed until I was diagnosed with it. And my group had responded without judgment, um, with compassion and a listening ear. And so when my accident happened, they understood that my recovery was going to be a multi-layered process Mm -hmm. you know my back's going to heal in 12 weeks praise the lord Um, but my mental health is needs to Mm -hmm. remain good and healthy and intact through that healing process and they reached out immediately and they said if you're struggling in any way um, we know physical activity is like a big part of you keeping that good Um, if you're struggling in any way call us we will stop what we are doing we will pray with you right then and there and that was invaluable to me
0: that's awesome
2: Anything you would say to, to anybody sitting out here of, hey, you need a church family? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think what stood out for me in this situation was just the power of prayer and just mm-hmm. the prayers of the church, of the staff, of all of you, of our life group. There's a situation, it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul, he's in the New Testament writing to a church. And he says, hey, pray for me. You know, I need more courage for the situation ahead. Right, he's anticipating a challenging situation, and you know we're sitting here in the hospital, and Rachel's getting ready to walk for the first time after the accident. Well, you'd, you'd been up, you'd stood up, you'd a had a little bit, but they were getting ready to send her down the hallway with this walker and just begin that difficult process of moving and being vertical. would go on that walk. We get back to the bed. Everything went well. We get her settled in again. I look on my phone, and what uh, had just happened while we were walking is the staff had decided, hey, we're going to take a, a few minutes, and we're going to pray for them. And I was like, God, you know what you're doing. Okay. God, <laughs> yeah. you, you've got this. You know. Yeah. You know. And it's just wonderful prayers. Yeah, you had something as well. Yeah, you know, it
1: wasn't, the Venture Church family stepped up in a huge way, but, um, you know, there's some logistical issues. We live down in Gilroy, we're 30 minutes away. And so, you know, not someone, someone couldn't necessarily come down and pick my kids up from school. So my kids go to a Christian school down in South County. And it was amazing to me the number of people from other church bodies that Mm -hmm. stepped up and came around us during this time. And so we weren't just blessed by Venture, but other churches in the South County area. And it was like, wow, God, like you're working through your people through the larger body of Christ to meet our needs. And that was really amazing to see.
0: Absolutely. Hey, can we thank these guys for sharing and opening up and uh, being a part? I appreciate it. I I just wanted you to hear, because I I think it's easy, especially we're on staff and we're calling you to do those things. And then suddenly you find yourself in a place where you realize we all need it. You need it. You're gonna have your high days and your low days but you need people. I'll give you the last one. Here's the last one. Love maintains unity through humility. Look look at this verse, this is a powerful verse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Man, if there was a verse for today's world, this is the verse. We're struggling all over the place with unity. And sometimes we think, oh, it's having the right answers and this and that. I I think the secret to unity is right here. It's humility. That you're willing to come into it and go, hey, I don't have all the answers. Hey, I know I see life this way, but I'm humble enough to listen to you. And, And we care more about each other and about maintaining this than I care about being right all the time. Or knowing that you know I'm right. Or becoming wise in my own sight. Because these all, all ten of these are pretty powerful. In fact, I I put some questions in this because I I want you to not just, okay, that's good. I want you to take some time to ponder it a little bit. Even if you don't take notes, I'd like you to do this though. Look at this first question. When you think about these ten marks of love that we looked at, Who loves you like this? Before you think about who you're supposed to love, who is already loving you like this? Look through the list and write the names of the people who've shown you this kind of love. Go through the 10 things and go, oh, you know, so-and-so does that for me. Oh man, she's done that, he's done that, they've been in my life. That alone is a great exercise because it reminds you again. Oh man, God, you are pouring out so much love on me through people that sometimes I might take it for granted. I might need to show them some honor, esteem them for how they love me. Then flip it. Who do you love like this? Look through the list and write the names of the people you've been able to love like this. This is where it gets harder. But this is where sermon application actually gets real. Because a lot of times we can have a sermon like this and you have the 10 points and I've learned the 10 points and I know the 10 points. I must be a loving person because I learned 10 things. No, no. That's not how it works. Jesus said you're not just hearers of the word, you're doers. And if you really want to check, okay, am I a loving person? Well, okay, who? Who are you loving? And so you start going down the line and go, okay, who who do I do this with? And write their names. And then as you do that... (laughs) and I was nice here I said are there one or two or ten things on this list where you realize I, I haven't been showing love and there will be by the way Okay, we all have to grow in this because sometimes you can have a sermon like this especially covered ten things you walk out here and you're like I am the most unloving person in the world because I'm not doing number seven I am just such a dog no no Remember, we said the whole thing is, this is a transform love. This is something Jesus does in us. It doesn't come natural to us. So of course you're gonna have things on this list that you look at and you go, oh, I don't do that. I don't even wanna do that. And you go, okay, Jesus, you're gonna have to do some more work. But, but as you start to do that, ask God to, to know how, and then who. If you really wanna get dangerous in your prayers, ask him, okay, how do you want me to show this? And then ask him specifically, who do you want me to show it to? And keep praying it. And he'll either, here's what I found. God will either bring the name or he's gonna bring the person across your path. And you're gonna go, oh, oh no, no, God, not them. I was thinking of this generic person that would be easy to love. And God goes, no, I I want you to love them. See, in in all these ways, this is how you, you take a passage like this. And it goes from, we need to be transformed people. We love saying terms like that. What does it look like? Paul says, okay, let me tell you what it looks like. Here's 10 ways to love. This is what transformed people do. And then we go, well, we need to be loving people. Okay, who? There's always a who when you love someone. It's not this generic feeling. And and then you come to this place and go, man, this is not me. I don't, I don't know that I can do this. Of course you can't. That's why you need Jesus. And that's why we spent 11 chapters on the gospel. Cause this is what Jesus did for you. And now this is what Jesus wants to do through you. So somebody else could experience that love as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you because you have created that safe space for us. We can be real with you. You know everything about us, but you don't reject us. Jesus, you meet us where we are, but you don't leave us there. And so in the same way, we wanna be people who love like this. And I, I just confess, ah, there's so many points on this list, it's so much easier to preach it than to live it. And yet you've called me to be a person who loves you and loves others. And so Jesus, I need you to work in me. Lord, I I, I thank you for the people of Venture. I I thank you when I come on this campus, I feel the love of so many who, who serve, who give, who wanna reach out, who are putting this in action in so many ways. And so I pray, would you stir in our hearts Would you show us again, maybe somebody that we've forgotten about, maybe somebody new across our path that that you want us to love like this. And Lord, I, I pray for each of us that as we go from this place, we would rest in the fact because of your love over us, because your love of us, it allows us to risk like this, to love like this. And so we just confess that now and pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.